G'day everyone, I'm Daniel Ricardo, and you're listening to EFTM, everything for the man. I could not be more excited to be talking Formula One. Connor McNally. Oh, Trevor Long with you, mate. How good is it to have just watched a Formula One race? <laughs> How good was the finish? You Unbelievable. Know, uh, we have waited, uh, they said at the start of the thing, 200 and something days. 210 days. It's been a very, very long time between drinks, uh, between champagne sprays, between anything in Formula One. And we've talked a bit about Formula One in the in that time, but I felt it very hard to kind of get motivated to, you know, really get passionate about it. Mm. But I just want to rewind before we get into the race. I want to rewind a Friday. Friday, yeah. I think practice one in a, in, in Australian time was something like six o'clock, six thirty or about something. That, yeah. And and so I was able to sit and watch it with the kids. I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie, it was almost emotional to see Formula One on the TV again. I had a big smile on my face when I saw the intro theme for F one yeah. and then just the cars coming onto the track. I'm thinking, yes, finally. We, we have been watching that much Formula One in my household and my youngest son Harry, who's eight, uh, basically just watches the F one YouTube channel. Yeah. And because that theme song, which is now I- iconic after just a year, um, uh, is is so played uh, mm. My wife was was humming that, and she has no interest in Formula it's One. It's a great theme, you got to admit. Um, it's really cool. Look, uh, forget everything. Forget practice. Forget qualifying. It was good. It was exciting. We're here to talk about the race. And, mm. and the race started, uh, in fact, 30, 40, 50 minutes before the race, we found out Lewis had a, a three-place grid penalty. Lewis Hamilton starting from fifth instead of second, uh, which essentially gave Bottas a massive advantage because... I don't. I don't want to break it to you. Lewis is is a demon. You know. I don't think anyone would deny that. It would have been a very different first lap with Lewis in second. Oh, without a question. But there was footage that Red Bull wanted clarified after that qualifying session because initially the FIA said no. Hamilton was in the clear after Bottas yeah, he went, went off. before the stewards. Yeah, he went before the stewards. They cleared him, but Red Bull wanted more clarification. Protested again. And they found the extra footage that saw Hamilton going past Bottas in a yellow zone mm. and copped the penalty. And it was, um, you know, from, from Red Bull's position, very much like for like with uh, the Mexico qualifying, Q3 qualifying last year, yep. where Bottas crashed in that last corner. Um, Max was coming around at pace to finish a hot lap. And he he went straight past him without lifting, uh, and there was a there was a yellow flag there, and he got penalised. Mm-hmm. And Red Bull's point was, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what happened today. So, I think it was a fair penalty in in every sense of, of the word. But you know, off the line, this was actually quite a reasonable start to the race. It I was a pretty good start, actually. Yeah, I mean, there was no there was no incident on the first corner. Um, a lot of drivers opted to go outside of the of the first corner because it was, it was the safest place to be, essentially. Mm. And I thought I thought it was a very um, stable start from everyone and a really good first corner, mate. It was an exceptionally good first corner. And the one thing that I noticed pretty much immediately was, yes, Mercedes have got the pace. We knew that for a fact. Mm. Honda and Red Bull struggled a little bit off the start, but yeah. 
the biggest thing that I noticed the most was the lack of race pace immediately from McLaren. Oh, it's just, that's, you know what, it's funny. So all, all I've done here, and, and we've both been sitting here with our laptops open during the whole race, and yeah. I've just made note after note after note, and we'll try and get through as many as we can. But after Lewis penalty, the first thing I've said is Norris, Lando Norris's poor form in the early laps. I mean, here was McLaren. They were essentially... Um, you know the the big winner out mm. of out of qualifying them and racing point probably. Um, well, in, the thing in terms was of what you'd expect. Yeah, well, the thing was, Red Racing Point actually had good pace in qualifying. They actually, yeah. they you know they basically have last year's Mercedes theoretically in design, but uh, and they showed really good pace in qualifying. But yeah, both Red Racing Point and McLaren just didn't really translate their qualifying pace into race pace. It really did look like one of those situations where, and you hear drivers talk about this, um, you know, they essentially didn't have a race car. Mm. They, had a, they had a good one-lap car. And so that was my concern, was Lando not getting, you know, any performance out of the event when he'd done so well in, in quality. Mm. Uh, Sainz as well, but... Um, but yeah, I was I was worried early on for, for Lando in terms of his his, uh, his penalty there. Um you know Hamilton and Albon had a good dice. That was that was that was pretty good for a few laps. But in the end, Hamilton took advantage of DRS. And you know Martin Brundle made the point during the broadcast. Do you reckon that third DRS is actually just a bit too much assistance? Possibly, possibly. But, but I mean, ha- but Hamilton used it to great advantage. Well, I mean, we know that the, <laughs> we know that Mercedes is a quick car, but he just he just utilised it to great advantage, and he knew that he had the quicker car than everyone else at the moment. And and yeah, kudos to him. He just used it. Very, very well. I, I, th- I think the, the point that Brundle made was that a couple of the passes were far too easy. Mm. Far too easy. But in the end, it's it's not just easy because Darius, it's in the it's easy because of the pace of the car. I mean... Well, you just so, ma- he just made everyone else look slow. Uh, look, I, I just... I, I think when you look at the, the end result we've got from one race, mm. there's no way anyone's going to make any change to any regulation <laughs> based on today's race, even if you thought the DRS uh, overtaking was too easy. Because the other big thing, and I think Christian Horner made this point in the Sky broadcast, the other big thing here is this was the first race. So we had, Jesus, count them, two, four, six, eight... 11 cars. What is there? Nine retirements. Yeah, 11 cars finished the race. Nine of them were, you know, nine of the cars retired. And, and, and the funny stat that they mentioned during the race was in this race last year, every single car um, finished the race, which was the first in, first of like ninth, the ninth time in history that that had happened. I know. And, so, and it reminds me of what Formula One used to be like in the 80s and 90s, where you had yeah. a high attrition rate. I love that. We also had many more cars, though. I know. So I think that's the problem. Back in when we were kids, mm. you had a situation where lots of cars wouldn't make it, but there were so many cars on the grid, it still felt like a packed uh, kind of race. Mm. I think that's that's the big difference to today. Um, obviously, the first retirement was epic, and welcome to watching Formula One with me, Connor. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm, I'm pretty passionate. I've noticed that. I'm, I'm up, I've I'm noticed. screaming, and my, I think the first tweet I sent during the race was, geez, Max, sorry to see you retire. Uh, I really, really am. Um, but, yeah. you know, not a good start for, for Red Bull well, to, I, to it, lose a car. No, not absolutely not at all. Now, I'll tell you, if, if it was Sebastian and Weber, if we had done this podcast years before, I'd be, I'd be screaming. And yeah. I have used to do that. Whenever Seb used to take out Weber or whatever, yeah. I used to scream the house down. I was so filthy with Vettel, and I still am to this day, but that's another story. But, yeah, I was really worried about 
Red Bull, their their pace very good at the start, but yeah, reliability that's going to be their key issue. I and think. I, and I think the number one thing we don't have right now at the end of this race, seventy one laps down, is we don't really know how far back the rest of the field are mm. because a we had multiple safety cars, um, so you've got a situation where Max was off the pace, but he was no way he was off as much as Alex. So I don't think it was a ten second gap. Mm. Max lost power too early in the race for us to truly know how far back Red Bull are. Like, yeah. how much advantage does Mercedes have power plant, design, aero, and maybe DAS? Um, I'm not sure there was... I, I looked a lot at the onboard. I didn't see it being used much, but I'm I sure someone will it. pick it up. I couldn't see much of it either, to be quite honest with you. So, I know they talked about DAS, which is the dual-axis system, which... Um, Red Bull protested about prior to the Grand Prix. Oh, they'll have it for Hungary. They'll have it for Hungary. Well, <laughs> they probably won't have it ready for next week. Oh, they might do. Who knows, mate? They might have it ready. Exactly. They've had a lot of months to get that thing ready, right? Mm. So the other thing about DRS was um, watching Ricardo and Vettel. Um, that there, it, it was like the DRS was, was not having an impact there, which to me says Ferrari has massive problems. If their car is the same pace as Renault, that's a very big problem for a Ferrari. And it probably gives a bit of concern for Carlos going into Ferrari next year as their number two driver. Well, we're all Leclerc. sitting here as Aussies thinking, uh, well, how good's this? Yep. You know, uh, Ferrari's at the back, um, McLaren's at the front, Sainz is going back there, and, and Daniel's, Daniel's going gonna... up there. Yeah. So it was kind of quite enjoyable to watch. And then, uh, essentially, we were all... And, and I think a lot of Aussies at the same time tweeted, well, screw you, Renault, because uh, then Daniel's engine gave way or his gearbox or yeah, whatever cooling the hell issues, it was. Cooling it? issues. Yeah. Bottom line, the car failed. Exactly. And, you know, it's such... It's a really hard thing for me to watch Formula One when there's no one to cheer for. Do you, did you I find agree, that? I agree with that. I mean, look, I used to cheer... Because we had a very long period where we didn't have... Australian drivers. Yeah, absolutely. And I used to cheer for Nigel Mansell. I was going to say I was a Mansell guy. Yeah, I was a Mansell guy as well. And I loved Alan Prost as well. But now that we've we've had a, con- a continuous run of Australians for the last, oh, geez, 10, 15 years yeah. or whatever, um, you know, we've got something to cheer for now. We've had to, yeah. we can cheer for Weber. We've been cheering for Dan and Ricardo. We've got the, st- you know, the, the rising stars, like in Formula 3. We've got four Australians that yeah. started this weekend in Formula 3, yeah. one of which won the opening race of the season in Oscar Piastri. Yeah. So, who is Weber's chosen one? Yes, exactly. He's the man that Weber would anoint as the next Australian Formula One driver if he could. If he could, exactly. Um, but let's I, not let's not forget we've got Jack Doohan in there as yeah. well, who's a Red Bull junior and is a Mercedes junior driver as well, because of his dad. Fascinating thing is, um, what lap did uh, Danny retired on? Uh, it doesn't say, but the bottom line, oh, it must have only been must have been about twenty laps in. He's 50, 54 laps behind. So. Um, he retired like 80, lap six, 16, 17, 18, somewhere yeah. there. How many people turned off the TV at that point? I, like, I would say they would have turned off as soon as he pulled into the pits and retired. I, I wonder whether, if you weren't sitting here, whether I would have just gone, yeah, no, I'm out. Like, the only, the only saving grace... I probably would have stayed up and watched it. was at school holidays and I, yeah. I probably would have been watching with my son. But, gee whiz, that, that's the problem with, with having performance issues like Renault have. Is you lose you lose an audience real quick, and you got to be really passionate about this sport to a get up at eleven o'clock at night to watch it, mm. uh, or stay up, and and b stay in it when you kind of see the, the the hope that you have crumble. 
So I think that's the problem with with Renault's performance is we 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 had this fear that that, that it was crumbling. We knew that Renault were not going to be a powerhouse, so to speak. We saw that last year. We knew that Renault were going to struggle big time, and Daniel struggled for for pace and consistency. And it looks like it's carried over into this season. We thought that there would be some substantial improvements, but I I can't see it. No. Not right now. And I think Daniel's made the right choice to go to McLaren next year. You know, and we'll never really know until he writes a book, but but I think that's the critical thing is he probably sees a lot of the development that's going on at Renault and wonders whether it's enough. And he's probably had such a close relationship with people like Zach Brown that he's more aware of what they're doing. Mm. So, you know, it wasn't long after Daniel that Lance Stroll uh, retired with a with a performance issue as well. Power units, Drove into, yeah. the, into the garage. But it was... It, the, the race was turned on its head when Magnussen... Um, lost brakes and a safe. We had a safety car. Yeah, and it was the first of many issues for the Haas team this weekend, and they really, really struggled. Um, like right at the tail of the field, we thought that Haas this year were going to really improve on a pretty poor year last yeah. year, and it seems like nothing has improved at all on their stocks. It, it was really, really embarrassing to see them so further down the field and basically pirouetting one another once well, at one point. Uh, and we'll, we'll, I'll skip forward here a little bit, but, you know, the Haas problems were accentuated by the fact that George Russell was outperforming, uh, at some points, Alpha, let alone Haas, before he had a failure. Um, so, you know, the fact that Williams could be, you know, chipping at the heels of Haas is a massive problem for Haas. And also Alfa Romeo. And that's embarrassing, you know, for Ferrari because they run that team. They're the it's the B team, I guess you could say, for Ferrari. Yeah. And both Giovinazzi and Kimi right at the tail of the field. Now I think in Kimi's case, I don't think he really cares that much because let's no. face it, he's now at the end of his career. It's just a hobby. It's just a hobby for me. I don't really care. <laughs> but for Giovinazzi, you'd be thinking to yourself, well, here I am driving for one of the most prestigious names in world motoring, and I'm at the tail of the field. Yeah. You know, that, that would really sink your stock so low right now. So uh, when the first safety car came out, mm. I, I want to talk about double stacking. Yes. Because I think that is one of the most impressive things this sport has to offer. <laughs> now, Lewis didn't do anything wrong by by potentially slowing a little into the lane. Well, he had a 10 um, They had, had a big gap. Yeah. But the very fact that you can have one car come in and another one within sight in the lane uh, come in after it and the other car has been fully surfaced is remarkable. I mean, a two seconds two seconds to do four, four wheels and tyres is still beyond belief, I think, for most of us mere mortals. Oh, it's just crazy. I mean, we always used to think when we watched supercars that – the pit stops before the restrictions came in were just impressive. Whatever, like, say, Triple Eight or, or Team Penske, for example, their pit stops were impressive. Nah, watch what Formula One do, and particularly Mercedes AMG. Their pit stops are just absolutely flawless. Yeah. Well, we're running through uh, we're running through the first uh, race of 2020, which is uh, Austria, and there'll we, be another race. Next, next weekend, the Starian Grand Prix. Um, but we're just running through the race as it happened in our, in our eyes. Um uh, Sebastian Vettel, his head is bigger than every other part of his body. Yeah. To think that he could run up the inside of Carlos Sainz. Um, he had a massive brain fart, without I mean, a question. It just makes no sense what he does there. And, you know, Sainz was lucky to come out of that with nothing and, and just to go on. And Seb was, I think, 
proportionately, um, you know, suffered uh, by going to the back of the field. But yeah. it just struck me as a really dumb move. It was an extremely dumb move. And look, it's not the first time that Sebastian's made some pretty dumb moves in his career. Case <laughs> in point, Mark Webber. But yeah, that, I mean... Multi-21. Multi, yeah, multi-21, yeah. But the thing is, Sebastian knows he's on the outer at Ferrari and I, I don't know what he was thinking trying to say, hey, I'm still, I've still got it. He's, in a, he's not on form at the moment. Um, we don't know where he's going to be, do, where he's going to go next year or what he's going to be doing. It's... Um, yeah, just complete brain fart on his end and, uh, yeah, just sheer stupidity. So it's around this point of the race where we start to hear uh, Mercedes talk to their drivers about we're going to turn both cars' engines down, mm. right? Now, Lewis is hearing this, but he's telling his engineer that he's still got plenty of juice in the tank. He's still got performance to come. Basically, Lewis wants first place. Lewis has made his way back through the field to second place in the race, um, thanks mm. to safety cars and passing, he's done a very good job to be right up the clacker. Because remember, he was about 6.8, consistently 6.8 seconds behind Valtteri Bossas mm. before the safety car. Absolutely. So yeah. without the safety car, Lewis is not on his clacker. But he gets to his gearbox and he wants action, like he wants to get past. And the team says, we're, gonna, we're shortly going to turn both cars' engines down or power down. Mm. Now, that to me, immediately and without question, sounded like, buddy, team orders uh, will we'll be staying as we are. We'll be staying in formation. I, I understand that. I understand why it happens. But, geez, I hate it. Yeah, I hate it too. I hate it too. But you could tell Lewis was extremely frustrated. And... Again, it's the ego and Lewis that comes out at him when think, when situations like this happen. You know, he's obviously determined to win the Grand Prix. He's a six-time world champion, and he wants to be successful. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think in his mind, he he probably sees Valtteri as probably the more inferior because he's the number no two. Doubt. No, no doubt. No doubt. And he thought the same of of Nico when he was Absolutely. his teammate. But I'm glad that when Nico won his world title, you know, he showed up, Lewis. So. I would love nothing more but to see Valtteri win a world title and stop Lewis's dominant run. You know, we saw that when Nico did that a few years ago. I mean, we thought Valtteri was going to do the same last year. Valtteri retire straight after winning, do you reckon? If he no. <laughs> I, would, I think he'd make a point and say, yeah, I'm fine, I'm done, bye-bye. You know, I thought it was completely unrelated to Formula 1, but I thought it was fascinating that this is the first weekend that I've learned, and others may have known this because they follow him on social media, yeah. that, that he, he's gone through a divorce at the end of last year. Yeah, I didn't and, know and it either. Where you recap that uh, in our first podcast with Harry, and by the way, Harry... Um, shout out, mate. I hope you're feeling better. He's yeah. not feeling well. He's going to get the stick up the nose and see if he's doing all right. But well, hopefully um, he'll be back in our next podcast next the, week. The interesting thing is, when the Australian Grand Prix was cancelled, there was all this palaver about who'd already flown out of the country, and there was rumours that Valtteri had left the country because his wife had tweeted or Instagrammed from somewhere yeah. else. They weren't married They were divorced. The they were divorced. He's shacked up with an Australian road cyclist. He's doing very well. Doing exceptionally and, well. you know, the smile on his face today indicates that, you know what, that's a really important part of the whole package is just to be happy on and off the track. Yes. And I think that's... Um, I actually think that's a really telling thing, and I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for him because, you know, Lewis does have this, you know, 100% focus on racing, and, and maybe he does need a bit of just something else in his life other than designing fashion for Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, remember he had Nicole Skersinger for some years. Yeah, well. 
But yes. that that never really got anywhere, anywhere in the air. But yeah, Valtteri's now with Australian cyclist Tiffany Cromwell. And good luck to them. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. So um, the team orders then, or the, the power thing, then transpired to be a more of a conversation about gearbox sensor issues. Mm. And the broadcasters, the FOM, were very smart. They were playing us radio from both Valtteri and Lewis, um, showing that they were both getting the same message, um, that this was applying to both cars, and they needed to stay off the ripple strips. They needed to stay off the mm. red and white markers. They yes. needed to stay off the curbs. These things are brutal. They are shaking these cars to a core. And as Martin Brundle rightly says, there is no buffer in these cars. These things are not like your average car where you get shock absorption. Exactly. You don't have a proper shock absorber. You don't have your, your bushes or whatever. No. It, it, they are brutal cars. So the vibrations were obviously setting off some alarms, some concerns for the team. And it took, i got to say, it took five laps for them to even begin to take notice. And frankly, it didn't happen. I think there was another safety car mm. um, that 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 was prompted. And it was only after that that we saw them move some way back in between the white lines, back onto the black stuff. Well, the the, the, sa- the safety car, the second safety car that came out was because of George Russell. And I That's felt right. so yeah. sorry for George Russell. He was literally on the cusp of getting points for Williams. And his well, first point as well, which well, would have been great for them. The note I made was George Russell ahead of Raikkonen. Grosjean, Vettel, and Latifi, and then it all failed. Yeah, and I feel for him because he he did he did great with his profile rise in during the E series, getting mm-hmm. getting getting some results there. Yep. Um, strangely, really leapt ahead of um, Charles Leclerc in that sense because Charles was this dominant E series racer in the early days, but then you know just struggled. Yeah, and it was up to George and and Lando to to really take the baton there. Mm. Um. But it was after that George Russell safety car that the Mercedes seemed to essentially go, "Radio, we're in formation here, um, and that's where we're going to be. We're going to we're going to stay on the black stuff because this is a real problem for our cars." So my question, my concern here is: Are Formula One cars just too uh, brittle? Are they too brittle? I think they've always been brittle. We know we know that they're very fast, and you know that the Whatever they've developed on the cars obviously gets translated down into what our road cars are, but there's a com- complete um, sense of brittleness of those cars. It's always been that way in Formula One. They're yeah. not. They're not necessarily. Yes, I know they've got the stronger chassis or whatever, but there is an element of brittleness. Should they be able to ride the curbs like they do? Do you reckon? Like, so I'm thinking. I, think I, I th- don't know what number it is, but I'm going to say if there's ten turns, uh, yeah, ten, ten, nine, ten turns. I'm going to say. Eight and seven somewhere there. You know, they come around that that kind of vast left-hander. It's kind of a very long, long hairpin, very long hairpin, okay? They come around a vast, uh, I think it's five and six. Um, yeah, five and six, so then seven and eight. It's a bit of a crisscross. Hmm. It's a bit of a left-right. They, they essentially straighten that so much by riding the red and white that, like, it. I don't know, doesn't it defeat the purpose of it being a racetrack? Like that's my concern. It's mm. not. It's not so much how brittle the cars are, but how much they are pushing the limits of these tracks, mate. Shouldn't you be making the turns that are required, yeah. as opposed to straightening everything out with these excessive curbs that they're allowed to drive on? See, this year the or this track anyway, the rule uh, of um, uh, of track limits, especially on turn ten, was it's not about having both tires outside of the white. It's about having one, a tire on the red and white, so you can have. The left-hand tyres can be way over on the green. The right-hand tyres 
way outside the white line, but on the red and white curb, and that's legal. That's just stupid to me. That's not track limits. Track limits is the white line. Exactly. In my opinion, yes, if you... I think there's a there's a fine line, in my opinion, of riding the, the curves. Yeah. But you got to... The, the perspective is you go for your apex, but you stay within the lines yeah. of the circuit. That, that's my opinion. So then, then you've got a, a restart there where everyone but Lewis and Valtteri... Have got fresh boots. Yes, but then, but, but then Valtteri and 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 Lewis came in for boots. So you've got um, the critical one is Albon on softs. Yes, right. So there's a whole stack of fresh boots, but Albon's on softs. Everyone else went for a couple went back to mediums, a couple went to hards. Well, Lando and Charles went on back onto mediums. Yeah, and Checo stayed out. So I don't think he did. Mm. His la- his tire chart showed. That he was on eight lap old tyres when they were talking about that on the TV. Regardless, Albon on on soft tyres had absolute pace, and I think he made a, a a big mistake by pushing too hard too early. Yeah, I agree with that, and I actually mentioned on my Twitter it just went a little too eager. I mean, it was a ballsy move to go on around Lewis, the outside on about. Lewis. Yeah, and uh, um, this is for second place exactly. For second place in the Grand Prix, and it was a ballsy move. As it turned out, he was in front of Hamilton, but they touched tyres and all one spun out. Now, this is the moment of the race that changes everything. Yes. Alex Albon goes around the outside of Lewis in a great move, which, frankly, if it was Max Verstappen, everyone would be talking about it differently. He'd be like, great move around the outside. You know, it's Max. Mm. It's the way he goes. Yes. And and he suffered through a spin. Albon, we're kind of... We're, we're, Oh, we're even talking about it as if it was just a bit too soon. I say it's too soon because he did risk exactly what happened. He risked spinning out. Now, who cares that Lewis got a penalty right now? We'll talk about that in a bit. But he spun out and ended up at the back of the field. So had he have waited for DRS, DRS had not been enabled yet. So it was within two laps of the restart of a safety car that Alex pulled this move. Mm. Dude, you've got soft tyres. You've got grip outer corners. You've got grip in corners. Just wait. And he, like should, and he should have waited. I, I mean, look, I think if he had got it done, it would have been the, the, the well, ballsy move of the race, <laughs> and we would have been talking about it to the cows grow home. But if he had just waited those two laps, I think he would have done, he would have just slingshot past Hamilton, got up into second place, and it would have just been, well, that was probably one of the moves of the race. But uh, As it turns out, Alex becomes uh, a, a Neville nobody in this race because he's at the back. Christian's, you know, you can imagine Christian just being grumpy as all hell because, <laughs> you know, he lost Max early and Alex essentially threw the race away. Even though Christian will blame Lewis, mm. Alex threw it away. I mean, let, let's be clear, I blame Lewis in terms of there, there was a rightful penalty. Yes. But when you look at it, Lewis didn't do anything intentional in that turn. He just essentially understeered it because he had to take a tighter line. That That's the challenge for Lewis is what could he have done? Like, does he throttle out of it all? I mean, it's a very, very, very difficult thing to do in the heat of the moment. To me, I think it could... uh, From my perspective, it probably looks like it was a racing incident. uh, And I I probably would have thought, well... If I was a steward, I'd call it a racing incident. Yeah, if I was was one of those racing stewards up there 
at the Red Bull Ring, I would have said, yeah, racing incident. But they obviously didn't see it that way. And yeah. he copped a five-second penalty. So five-second penalty for Lewis Hamilton. And then shortly after, five-second penalty for Checo yeah. for speeding in the pit lane. Just throws everything into chaos because then we're now looking. At, I'm looking at the live timing on the F1 app. I'm clicking on on uh, Lewis to see who's within five seconds of him, and this is where it gets exciting. Mm. I mean, this is just this is probably one of the most exciting finishes to a race I can remember. Now that granted, it's been a long time since we had a race, so mm. I don't remember much. But it was bloody exciting, mate. Well, I was up on my bloody feet. You know, off the lounge. This was this was an exciting end to the race, mainly because Lando Norris is in like fifth place. Yeah, he gets past Checo, and and he he's five point two seconds. It, I looked at the TV; it was seventy lap seventy one of seventy one, and Lando's five point seven seconds, five point two seconds behind Lewis, and he's obviously. And this is the one team radio I want to hear from the weekend: is what does McLaren say to Lando? Because they must have said, mate, give it everything. This is a qualifying lap because it was an epic time. He set the fastest lap of the race on the last lap to make up the time and get to within 5.8 or 4, oh, sorry, 4.8 or 4.7 seconds of Lewis Hamilton, which means Lewis gets bumped back to fourth or fifth and Lando, third place behind Charles Leclerc, who, by the way, just came from nowhere to just push, push, push. Strategy, tyres, um, good use of safety car, and he gets his way into second place um, behind Valtteri Bottas. It's a it's a phenomenal end to a race. Oh, great, great effort by Norris. And yeah, you're right. He had to send it. There was no. I don't think McLaren would have given up without a fight. And yeah, yeah without a doubt, they told him to just send it and go for it. But if you saw the move on what Norris did on Perez. He literally rode the curb at that hairpin there. Because Perez, I think, was just trying to squeeze him. He was trying to get his line, defend his line. But yeah. Norris has said, nah, nah, no way. And he, he got past. He just got past. And it was a beautiful move. And then, to yeah, to get within 4.8 seconds to push no, uh, Hamilton back. And I can tell you the end result. So basically, top three, Bottas, Leclerc, Norris, Lewis Hamilton, fourth place. Cracker. It was a cracking finish. And two McLarens in the top five. And and my favourite thing was Lando had no self-control on the radio. No. Like the beeping that was required on that radio <laughs> message was epic. Just it, epic. Yeah, oh, he deserves it. He absolutely deserves his first podium in Formula 1. And I, I know you were cheering for him. because you Absolutely. Re- I, I, you know what? Because I, I think he is a, he is a perfect talent for Formula One. I agree. He really is. He's the face. I have grown to like him. Like, I've watched him when he did the Supercars E-Series, and his personality, it just just shines. It reminds me of Daniel. And they've got good... It's going to be a fun year in 2021 with those two together. And I think it's interesting, and I want to make a a point here. Martin Brundle's made made a statement, essentially, on the grid, talking about the... The, the end racism, the, the we race together, the the concept and the conversation around um, people of colour in Formula One. And he kind of made the point that, you know, Lewis, Lewis has the respect of every single person in Formula One. Sure, there's people that hate him. There's people that think he's a, he's a goose. But mm. no one disputes that he's an unbelievable driver. So there is this kind of thing of, hang on a minute, mate, you, 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 you've actually got what, 
every other driver on the grid would want, which is the utmost respect, the the the, the status, and all these things. But what's interesting is you've got this guy who I don't really hold up as a great um, ambassador for the sport. Like Lewis, he's, I don't know, they're just, you watch him on Instagram, it's just made, it's more about his bling and his fashion mm. than it is about the racing. Whereas Lando, my kids look at Lando and go, he's cool. Like he's on the sim and he's fun and they love the team radio. It's the same with Daniel Ricciardo. You That's get people like, you get people like them and they're like, they're the perfect role models to have in a sport such as Formula One because yeah. they have got such a positive, infectious personality. You yeah. go, yeah, I want to be like Daniel Ricciardo. I want to be like Lando Norris. Yeah. You know, I'm. I just look. I mean, credit where credit is due to Lewis Hamilton with all the successes that he's had in Formula One. But the more and more I look at Lewis, and he's get up in recent times. And I just think sometimes he's an utter tool yeah. for what he is doing. Not, I'm not being disrespectful for, the, for his success. He deserves the success that yeah. he gets. But to me, he just reminds me of Formula One's equivalent to Justin Bieber. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, that's how I honestly feel. So, look, after um, after one one race, I'm trying to throw in the Constructors' Championships because um, on the... Well, they F1 app, it's it's not updated. They haven't updated the points as yet, but basically That's the driver really quite annoying. The drivers' championship sees Bottas leading ahead of Just Claire, then Lando, then Lewis. Carlos Sainz is in fifth. Oh. Sergio's in sixth. Gasly, the only surviving AlphaTauri, in seventh. Ocon in eighth, the only surviving Renault home. Then it's Giovinazzi after starting at the tail of the field to finish ninth. And then Sebastian in 10. So let's look at this, right? Um, Bottas and Hamilton, that gives uh, Mercedes 37 points. Mm. Uh, it puts McLaren in second place in the championships, in the in the Constructors' Championship, with 26 points. Because Ferrari would have 19. Yes. Um, no one else would be anywhere near them. I mean, McLaren is second in the World Championship. 11 points behind. And and this is the other thing that, that I think all the commentators made a very good point of in the early part of this kind of coverage was... This could be an eight race season. Yes. It could be 10. could be 15. We don't know, but eight is the number right now. This, I mean, this could be the, the, this could be the year for McLaren in terms of turning it around financially because those points mean money. That's a- huge. Absolutely. Massive. And we know the financial issues. We, didn't really, we haven't really discussed McLaren's issues. And let's be clear, Red Bull have no points. Yeah. Right? We're, 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 we're potentially one-eighth of the way through the season and Red Bull have no constructors' points. Mm, it's, it's rather interesting right now. It's, a, it's, it's thrown a complete different set of circumstances going into the remaining seven races or eight or nine or whatever it might yeah. be for the remainder of the season. So I want to talk about next week and I want to talk about 2021 for a second. Uh, next week's fascinating because mm. they're just staying in their bubbles, right? And by the way, uh, I'm sure they'll put it online, but Ted Kravitz's pre-race explanation of the way F1 is working was phenomenal. And I saw a lot of people go, well, it's a credit to Formula 1. Forget. Actually, respect. They, they've got a situation where, um, and I, it all makes sense now, the distancing is, is ex- excessive in many cases because you've got bubbles within bubbles um, within groups. So you've got essentially a group of, of mechanics... Um, you've got drivers who really don't interact with the mechanics, so that if a mechanic gets COVID, it's the it's the it's their team 
It's not the whole racing team. It's their little part of the team. Yeah. So it's all separated out very, very smartly so that you've got this real separation of, you know, of essentially of a c- contagion, right? Exactly. It's very, very well done. So it's well worth pe- people seeing. Um, but what what happens next week? Like, the weather's going to be the same, obviously, because it's the same season. It's not like it's a, you know, complete change in, in uh, track temps or anything. All the teams have got a bunch of data from this weekend, which is valuable. Like, this is exceptional what's going to happen next week. Never before have we had one-week-old data about a track, a race, practice qualifying for the exact same cars. Because no one's bringing updates next week, right? No. If they are, they're they're minimal. Um, Whereas normally you've got this Barcelona data that gets, gets used like three months later in Barcelona after there's already been a bunch of upgrades and races. This is fascinating. It's because it's all be about it's all about genuine tweaks to the car. It's going to be very interesting to see who's going to come out better next week. Who's going to actually take advantage of all this data that they've all obtained and using it again next week? There's going to be some very interesting tweaks to to see which cars will will benefit. And it'll, it, you're right, the conditions will be the same, but I think the weather is going to be different next week. We don't know if it's going to be overcast. We don't yeah. even know if it's going to rain either. We, we could have the same conditions tonight as they would next week. But it's fascinating. Think about Red Bull. Like you're Christian Horner and you've got that whole one of eight. Like You've just had one of eight and you've scored nothing. Mm. So his brief to his drivers next week is we need to qualify well and we need to score points. So they actually need to not be overly aggressive next week. They've got to be very careful next week because they need to score points. This championship requires them to be careful next week. Whereas, you know, like, you wouldn't say McLaren would just not give a rat's, but McLaren can essentially throw something at it next week. But they do also need to be careful about the the cars and everything because they've got another week after that. It's only one week away again after that for Hungary, isn't it? I know, it? yeah. So we've got three races in a row. That Yeah. So we've got the Steinmark Grand Prix. Hungarian Grand Prix is coming up on the 19th. Then the British Grand Prix. So we've got a two-week break between that and the British Grand Prix. In fact, there's two races at Silverstone. Yes, back-to-back. Back. What are they calling those? The British Grand Prix and, and the, the what? the 70th anniversary GP. Oh, That's okay. what they're calling it on the 9th of August. Then you've got the Spanish Grand Prix on the 16th, the Belgian two weeks after on the 30th, and then you've got the Italian Grand Prix on September 6th, which is the end of that eight-race period, but we don't know as yet if there's going to be more races after So that. what's the date of the last one currently scheduled? Uh, currently scheduled September 6th. It's a long way away. And you know what? I Normally we get 18 races, 21, whatever the hell the plan was be. 22. I've got year. enough adrenaline in my body that this I'm happy with the eight right now. Me like, too. It's because they're packed back to back to back to back, essentially. But um, I think my biggest concern is that this race... Do you remember this race last year was pretty epic? Like yeah, it was pretty epic. It was. But actually, there wasn't, as, well, there wasn't a lot of racing. We were lucky to have safety cars today, for example. Mm. Like, without those three safety cars, pretty sure that was a boring race. I, I reckon so, too. Yeah? I reckon so. So how can we be... How can we, how can we even hope... The 2020 is going to be exciting racing, race to race. And secondly, Connor, and this is my biggest problem, 2021 was meant to be the biggest change in Formula 1 ever, new cars, new regulations. But because of this, it's the same. Mm. 2021 is this year all over again, except with a proper season and, and circuits. Uh, mate, I'm not sure. I, I think we're very lucky that this was a good race. I'm just worried that we haven't actually changed the sport enough and McLaren, uh, sorry, Mercedes are 
way too far ahead and that it is just a race for third place at the Century. It the does moment. worry me too because it we have seen such dominance by Mercedes in the last decade. Yeah. It's or almost decade. It's scary that they've just got a complete monopoly on just about everything at the moment. And we would love to see other teams. We would love to see Red Bull win a world championship again. We would love to see McLaren win a world championship. It's been a very, very long time yeah. since we've seen them take up a world title. But, yeah, we, we, we don't know if that those changes are going to happen sooner enough. You know, I would love for things to change. Yeah. But here's the other thing. If you could ask Daniel Ricciardo one question, and I don't mean in an interview sense because he wouldn't answer it, but yeah, of course. if he was telling his mates, what is it about McLaren next year that makes him confident? Because, and I think I mentioned this briefly in our last chat, uh, my concern with, with McLaren next year is they're using a 2020 car with what was meant to be a 2021 engine supplier. I don't know how a, McLe- a Mercedes engine just bolts into a car have to that was designed it. around a Renault. Because if you watch the Drive to Survive doco from the first year, their whole problem was with the Honda engine, it just it just friggin' didn't work. It didn't fit. It didn't happen for them. And they were they had to kind of start all over again. Mate, I don't know that 2021 is going to be... I want it to be better because I want it to have a more powerful engine. I want it to be... Uh, it is a good racy car. Mm. But I just... I mean, I, sh- I assume they've got a team working on that. I'm, I'm pretty sure they do right now. It'll be very inter- very interesting to see how they're going to go with this Mercedes engine in 2021. Yeah. I, I'm really... I'm just... I'm just scratching my head thinking, I hope you get this right. Because let's not forget, remember in 2009 when Honda shut down and Ross Braun brought out the remnants of that Honda team. They had to shoehorn at the very last moment a Mercedes engine into that Honda chassis which became the Braun and they managed to make it work and win well, a world title. Well, you've sold me that. I'm excited because Braun went on to win the world championship. Exactly. That's okay then. But well, I don't know. I don't know if you can get. I can. I don't even know if you can um, solve that problem for McLaren. If you know, it, they could have problems going into next year. It, it, the, the engine may not work. The chassis may not work for them in 2021. But it might work for them in 2022. We don't know. It's uh, there's so many questions that are going to be asked and answered over the next six to well, probably 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And well, I'm I'm really excited. You know, I'm nervous for McLaren. But I'm excited at the same time because I think there's a lot of good things that are going to happen for the working team. It's going to happen. Let us know what you think. Just uh, hit us up on Twitter, at EFTM, and just let us know what you're thinking about Formula 1 in 2020. Just finally, and I'll let you bring up your notes because I know you've got them on the Aussies in in, uh, in, this, in this weekend, essentially. Yeah. Um, by the way, there was also... Uh, new, it's, uh, Australia and New Zealand did very well this Trans- weekend. Trans-Tasman. We, tr- um, we had uh, the Porsche uh, on, on New Zealand. Or Jackson, Evans. Jackson Evans. Jackson um, Evans. So I, I just think this is a really interesting because I did think for a while there that Mark left. Mark Webber left the sport and Daniel was already in and we're good to go. Mm. And I felt like there was this big gap. And I, I think uh, Mark Webber was very supportive of Mitch Evans at a, at a time. You know, he was hoping that he would come through. Um, and, and then I think it was in Rusty's, uh, Rusty's Garage podcast, it might have been, where he was asked about, you know, who his next big hopes were and he mentioned Oscar. Yes. And so I've been following him on Instagram ever since. But, yeah, mate, uh, had a big win and, and massive that's, that's win. a big deal. It's a massive win. The opening round of the... Uh Opening race of the opening round of Formula Three this uh, this season, and Oscar Piastri won. Um, a Renault Junior driver, he won the Formula Renault European 
competition last season and yeah, touted to be doing big things. And let's se- be clear, he didn't 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 go badly in the second race. It's a res- reverse grid, so he, the the top ten switched around. He started from tenth and he got to eighth, but and you wouldn't the- have you you actually don't expect uh, them to win back to backs like that because of the reverse grid situation. Exactly, but he got the fastest lap of the race, which no, is a no. commendable effort by Oscar himself. But big kudos. To Alex Peroni, yeah. the guy that crashed horribly at the Mo- at Monza last year in the corresponding Formula Three race, mm. manages to come back after that incident. First race of the year, gets on the podium. Great effort. Two Aussies on the podium. Fantastic yep. stuff for the Tassie driver. Unfortunately, an engine failure uh, in the second race put him out. He was doing quite well. He's up in seventh at one point, so he was doing quite strongly there. And then you've got two other drivers, Jack Doohan, of course. Of Doohan fame, the yep. son of McDoohan. 14th in the first race, but retired in the second with uh, some engine dramas. And another Aussie who won the Australian Formula 3 title in, a few years ago, Callan Williams from Perth. Um, 21st in the first race, 17th in the second. Now, that might not sound too much, but that's a massive improvement by four places. Yeah, he yeah. really did well. So to have four Aussie drivers in Formula 3, you know, I think our stock's... Yeah, you know, for our next Formula One hopeful, hopeful are very, very bright. And let's not forget, we had two. We had Jackson Evans in Porsche Super Cup. He won this weekend, and we had Jordan Love from uh, from Perth who won Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge a couple of years ago and did very well last season in Carrera Cup Australia. Yeah. So, you know, our stocks in terms of um, you know Formula One talent, rising talent, and as much as we'd love to see a bunch of them get into Formula One, yeah, really. It's just a matter of we just need we just need another one at the pointy end. Yes, we just need all of them to to rise up to a point where where our team and let's be honest, it is your it's your Alpha Tauris as it's pronounced. We we we're saying it the way Crofty says it because that man should know. Yeah, um, probably not Alpha Romeo because as we've discussed, could probably a Mick Schumacher would would be the next bet. I think to take so, yeah. uh, Kimi Raikkonen's spot. Um, I would like to see Haas take on uh, a new. New, 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 new driver. Because seriously, I mean, Magnussen and Grosjean are going nowhere for them. Why, why wouldn't you? That's what. Why not would, take a risk? I bet you it's cheaper too. I agree. It would be a, a big risk for for Haas to take on young drivers such as Piastri or even Alex Peroni. But why not? Why are they bringing an American in? That's what I don't understand. Yeah, because it's an American team. You, yeah, there's some good American talent out there as well, but. I don't know. It just it just perplexes me why they're not bringing in their own talent from their own country. Yeah. It just yeah. And you know what? There's a very very slim chance that there's a Renault Formula One seat open next year still. Exactly. I mean, there's a very slim chance, and there's a bunch of we're not talking about next year for an Aussie, but there's a bunch of Renault juniors across different Formula Two and stuff. So there's a chance, that, and hopefully, I think that this podium today with Leclerc and Norris on it. Indicates to every team that it's a new generation. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to what's going to come in Formula 1 in the next few years. I'm excited by it. Mate, I am pumped to have Formula 1 back. Oh, me too. I'm excited that we finally got a show done about Formula (laughs) (laughs) 1, as was originally planned. Um, Well, it took us, what, four months to get there? We'll get back into the swing of things and uh, we'll do it all again uh, every race of the year uh, here on the EFTM Formula One podcast. Um, it's great to be here. It's great to be chatting Formula One. And, mate, thanks for staying up so late and joining me here. Mate, it's been <laughs> to, a pleasure. I've really happen. enjoyed it. All right, we'll be back next week after the uh, second race at the Red Bull Ring. <laughs>